This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the first Sunday after Christmas, December 26, 2021, offered at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, the prologue to the gospel. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. He counts the number of the stars and calls them all by their names at least since the time of the psalmist, and most likely well before that, human beings have looked up to the stars and to the night sky, searching for meaning, searching for connection to the divine, telling stories about gods and monsters and hunters and fantastical beasts that we have determined or sketched out in the stars. Uh, Stars fill our hymns at Christmas. It is astronomers in the early, early ages of astronomy that actually look up and see the Christmas star that leads the magi, the wise men, to Bethlehem. And amidst all of this in Christmas, when we are looking up, looking to the stars, right? In the midst of all of that, yesterday, a really nerdy thing happened, and you probably missed it, because you probably, well, you might have been up by then. I was not quite up when they actually did it. But yesterday, in our effort to continue to explore the heavens above us, we launched the most sophisticated telescope that we've managed to build to date. And it wasn't just the Americans that did it. It's a joint project of NASA, the European Space Agency, the Canadian Space Agency. And we actually launched it from a spaceport. That sounds pretty cool, right? A spaceport in French Guiana. The telescope is called the Webb Telescope. It's named after a former director of NASA. And it has all sorts of new technology on it. They've been working on it for 40-something years. But what everybody is really excited about is that this telescope has the new ability to, a new ability to capture infrared light. As with most things related to space, the launch is just the first exciting and treacherous phase of the journey. Over the next month, The telescope has to complete over 300 different steps and travel a million miles to get to its final orbit. During this journey, there's course corrections, there's all sorts of systems that have to be turned on, there's a sun shield the size of a tennis court that has to be deployed behind it so that it will have power. There is so many things that can go wrong And we won't know if we got it all right until the summer of 2022 when it is scheduled to beam back the first images that it takes of the farthest reaches of space. The folks that are involved in this acknowledge the risk that's there. This is not exactly a cheap thing to do, to send a telescope a million miles into space. But all of them agree that the new vantage point this telescope will give us The reward, the payoff for science and for understanding our world is worth all the risk that it is to send this thing to space. Now when we look up into the stars and when the Webb telescope gets into position and looks to sort of that deep dark part of space, 
we're actually doing a bit of time traveling. Even when we're here on Earth and we look up at the stars. You don't have to have a fancy telescope to do this. Because when we look at the stars, we are looking at light that began its journey thousands or millions of years ago. It's how long it takes from sort of the, the farthest reaches of the universe for light to reach us here. And so the Webb telescope is going to be able to look for those first galaxies that were formed when the universe began. They are so far away that we're no longer getting white light from them, right? They don't look like the little white pinpoints of stars. Their light is traveling so far that it is shifted into what they call the red range, which is where infrared technology becomes really important. And that's how the Webb telescope is going to be able to capture these galaxies that really tell the story of how our universe began. This brand new fangled technology is going to help us see deep into our past as a created world. It also is going to help us look at nearby things, right? See what our neighbors are doing. To look at planets circling nearby stars. They'll let us figure out what's in their atmosphere and if these nearby places might actually be able to support what we understand as life. According to Bill Nelson, the guy that's sort of tasked with overseeing the project, the administrator of NASA, he says that this telescope is going to give us a better understanding of our universe and our place in it. Now, to me, that is remarkable, right? Astronomy, space requires more math than I can even begin to do, right? It's more fancy technology than I can imagine, but yet the goal of all of this is really very human, right? It's to understand our world and our place in it. And the scientists say that we will deepen our understanding if we are able to look further back in time to see where we began. For me, the Christmas season is a bit like looking at the stars through a telescope, right? We're invited every year at Christmas to turn and look at a very particular point in time in our history. We hear the story of Jesus' birth through our readings, our prayers, our hymns. All of it is focusing, looking for meaning for something that happened in the past. We retell this story, not just because we have to or because it's in the scriptures. We retell it because we believe that by telling the story of the birth of Jesus, we can better understand ourselves and our world and our place in this world as Christians. So on Christmas Eve, usually our gospel reading is the reading from Luke, right? The one that we're very familiar with. It's Mary, it's Joseph, it's a census, it's Bethlehem, there's angels, there's shepherds. Same familiar story, it's the same year after year, but what that really is is the story of how our human history was interrupted by God, right? Joseph and Mary's life is interrupted because they have to go to Bethlehem and Mary has a baby. The shepherds are interrupted by the angels, right? The whole of human history in the Gospel of Luke is interrupted by the incarnation. On the first Sunday after Christmas, we get the beautiful reading of the Gospel of John's prologue. Right? 
This doesn't have any of the familiar things we're used to at Christmas stories, right? There's no babies, there's no mangers, there's no angels, there's nothing, right? John's prologue is this beautiful sort of poetry that points us to focusing on not so much the interruption of human time, but the invitation to step into God's time and look back to the beginning of our created world. We hear it with the very, you know, the opening words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's through this Word that the universe was spoken and created, right? It is the light of the Word of God from creation that shines through time and darkness and breaks into our world so that we can better understand what we are called to do. And then we hear in John's sort of ultimate statement of the incarnation, this inbreaking, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. For the writer of John, the incarnation of the word of God is more than just the birth of Jesus, more than just a baby in the manger. The incarnation is Christ's whole life, his teachings, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. The incarnation is not a one and done sort of encounter. It's the whole life of Christ that then gives birth to the church and that once the word of God entered creation, that that light continues to be part of the created world. That God is still with us, and though at times we are going to need to look in new ways to see Christ in us and in our neighbors around us. To me, that's why liturgical time is so important, right? It's not just about changing the decorations in the church and the colors of the stole and what we wear. Liturgical time invites us to pattern our lives not on our time, but on God's time. To return again and again to familiar stories of Christmas and Epiphany and Easter. To look back on these stories with new eyes through new experiences. To see Christ revealed in history so that we can better see Christ revealed today. As we move through the season of Christmas and return to our regular lives, there is plenty of time and room for us to make mistakes and to mess up. Right? We're not always going to get it right. Being a Christian and trying to love this world the way Christ loves the world is risky business. It can be hard to hold on to the Christmas spirit, right? When all the decorations are put away and back in the box and the celebrations are done. It's risky to move through the world looking and seeking the light of Christ in each other and striving for understanding of our neighbors and the world around us. There will certainly be times of heartbreak and failure, but there will also be wonderful moments of love and compassion and resurrection. And so the promise of Christmas that we hear in this reading from John this morning, the promise of Christmas is that the light shines in the darkness, it still shines. And the darkness will not and does not and cannot overcome it. And that even when there seems to be no light at all, we know that we can again focus and look in new ways to see the light of Christ coming into our world again. Amen.